In the name of God, may we bear fruit worthy of repentance. Amen. This past summer, on uh, the way to our uh, pilgrimage to our sister parish in Malawi, Africa, several of us uh, had layovers uh, in Johannesburg, South Africa, and had a day or two uh, in Johannesburg before going to uh, Malawi. Many of us flew through Johannesburg. And uh, it just so happened that the day that we were flying from Johannesburg to Malawi was Nelson Mandela Day, uh, a national holiday that was being observed. And there were signs and observances around about Nelson Mandela all over the place. And uh, you may recall this past summer that Nelson Mandela became quite ill. And uh, many people said, you know, he may actually die while you are in uh, Africa. Of course, um, you've probably all heard that uh, he died this past Thursday. He was, of course, an inspiring figure uh, the world over, and at least for uh, my generation, he was sort of our a Martin Luther King figure uh, for my generation. And when I think back, I think the first truly sort of political thing I ever did was in college when I participated uh, in a protest about uh, divestment from South Africa. Uh, Clearly, divestment is not the right approach in all situations, but it absolutely had a significant impact on the changes uh, in South Africa. Divestment, uh, University of California, and then our government on a national federal level enacting um, divestment policies. And so to kind of my formative college years to observe all that happening. Just as an aside, in our bitterly, bitterly partisan uh, age, it might be worth remembering that uh, the federal legislation about divesting from South Africa happened because a Republican Congress overrode the veto of a Republican president. I can't imagine something like that happening now, but uh, it's, maybe we can be inspired by, uh, by something like that. So the day we flew to... Uh, I can't imagine that on either side, by the way. Not, uh, I want to be clear, that's a bipartisan position. <laughs> The day that we flew to Malawi, we got on the plane on Nelson Mandela Day, and every single uh, seat on the airplane had this attached to the headrest. And it says, 18 July, Nelson Mandela Day, take action, inspire change. Take action, inspire change. So one of the actions I took was to take this (laughs) from the plane. I thought, you know, souvenir. They're just going to take it off anyway, right? So, So I kept that. Nelson Mandela in many ways embodied the message of the scripture readings that we have today. 
John the Baptist's cry is essentially this. Take action. Inspire change. Now, John the Baptist was a challenge to the religious authorities. In that time, and in fact, essentially in our world today, power was centralized. Power was centralized in the cities. So if you needed to engage in uh, something with the government or with the religious leadership, especially in terms of the temple in Jerusalem, you had to travel to the center because that is where the power and the authority was. So everyone traveled in to the center where leadership was. But John was a figure crying out in the wilderness, not in the center of power, but out in the wilderness, which throughout Scripture is a place of renewal and a place of renewal of relationship with God. We tend to think of John the Baptist as this kind of crazy, ascetical figure running around, eating locusts, and wearing his camel hair shirt. It's important in this story to note that John the Baptist is a figure of poverty. He wasn't just a crazy mystic eating locusts. He was eating locusts because that's what the poor people in the wilderness ate. And wild honey, that's what they had. He reminds me of being in parts of rural Malawi where you will see often children by the side of the road holding up a stick with a bunch of roasted field mice on it because that is the only source of protein that they have is eating those field mice. Field mice, locusts, pretty similar in a lot of ways. And what he was, actually the locusts are more appetizing when I think about it. But, uh, so, having seen the mice. Um, so, and the camel hair shirt, that's what the Bedouins were wearing. That is a, that is a clothing of the poor. So he is an image of poverty. And people are coming to John the Baptist for baptisms and the cleansing of their sins. They're going out in the wilderness to him and to the message of repentance that he's proclaiming instead of going to the temple, instead of going to the religious leaders for these rites. So the power of the people is moving from the center out to the wilderness, out into the margins. And so we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up in the gospel story because they're coming to assess the threat, right? This guy represents a threat to their power and to their authority. And so they're coming to check out the threat. And I, I don't know if you all, you all if, you, if we continue on the John the Baptist story, he loses his head, Right? He challenges Herod and gets executed. John the Baptist sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming and he challenges them because he knows why they're there. They're not there to confess their sins. They're not there for the baptism he is preaching. They're there to assess him as a threat to their power. So he tells them, 
to bear fruit worthy of repentance and has this great image of even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. In what seems almost a direct response to this reading, Nelson Mandela, commenting on the difficulties he faced in his life and in imprisonment especially, said, No axe is sharp enough to cut the soul of a sinner who keeps on trying, one armed with the hope that he will rise even in the end. Wow. This is the heart of repentance. Mandela, of course, is famous for his support of efforts at reconciliation, especially through the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions that happened after the dismantling of the apartheid state and trying to reconcile the horrific human rights abuses that had happened. John tells us to repent for the kingdom is drawing near. Repentance is for the purpose of reconciliation. We often in the church, during our service, we have a confession of our sins. But often in the Anglican church and in the Roman Catholic church more so, uh, people will go to a priest for confession. And people will tell me, you know, do you hear confessions? Yes, we have confessions. We have a whole liturgy for it. But if you look it up in the prayer book, it is not called confession. It is called reconciliation of a penitent. We repent, we, re- we confess for the sake of reconciliation. And I love the phrase Mandela uses, one armed with hope. No axe is sharp enough to cut the soul of one who is armed with hope. So the sharp axe of oppression cannot cut the soul of one who is armed with hope. The Romans reading that we heard is focused on hope, on the hope we receive from believing in the God of hope. But it is a particular hope. In the letter to the Romans, Paul is talking about a hope that divided people will live in harmony. And he is calling on the church in Rome to welcome Gentiles and Jews alike, saying essentially that God welcomes all, so you too must welcome all, Jew and Gentile. The people should all live together in harmony. This image is carried forward in the notion of the rainbow people of God that Archbishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa used. And it is a notion that Desmond Tutu used during his inauguration as a democratically elected president, talking about the rainbow people of God and a rainbow nation. This is what Paul is talking about in the letter to the Romans. Both of our readings today encourage us to move from secure places of power or privilege, especially unexamined privilege, to sharing in God's abundant love and promise 
of reconciliation. There is much about our wonderful celebrations of Christmas that naturally draw us inward towards ourselves and towards a tighter, closer family. And it can be absolutely wonderful to be with our family and our closest loved ones. But the way we celebrate Christmas sometimes draws us inward. And often I find myself caught up in Christmas thinking kind of about what do I want for Christmas? And my vision doesn't always extend beyond those people who are on my Christmas shopping list. But the readings and the message of Advent draw us outward, out into the wilderness, into the wider community where God is doing a new thing and offering a promise of true life. Nelson Mandela said, What counts in life is not the mere fact that we have lived. It is what difference we have made in the lives of others that will determine the significance of the life we lead. Heeding the call of John the Baptist and in gratitude for the witness of Nelson Mandela, how can you take action and inspire change?